Our Heavenly Father, we ask that for Jesus' sake, your spirit would be at work in what's read and what's received in ministry, and we pray that we might respond then in kind, unto faith, hope, and love, uh, unto the glory of your name. We'd ask that you'd hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. So at every worship service, we take some time to focus in on a portion of God's Word, and so we try to do here what we're called to do in our own lives, and that's to open up the scriptures, open up the Bible, and see its direction for us. We look at Mark chapter 8, 27 to 38 this morning. We are taking just a brief break from our confessional preaching that we do, and also from the book of Romans, because we are getting close to our celebrating formally of uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ with Good Friday and Easter around the corner, and so tonight and this morning we're looking at a couple passages that are dealing with the suffering of Christ, and this morning it has to do with the road to glory on which Christ has to go by way of suffering. Tonight we're looking at the fact that in his suffering he was hated without a cause. Uh, so we looked this morning at Mark chapter 8 verses 27 to 38. And here's what uh, the word of the Lord tells us there. <clears throat> Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but what do you say that, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father uh, with the holy angels. And that's as far as we'll read from God's Word this, this morning. Thank the Lord for it. Brothers and sisters, I think we all at some point or another uh, find ourselves having to deal with and engage with that question about whether or not we deal with perception or we deal with reality. Sometimes we say, well, this is the way it ought to be. And then we say, yeah, but that's not what we're dealing with right now. That would be nice, but we're dealing with what people are perceiving things to be, and we got to adjust accordingly and deal with that. Uh, sometimes that differentiation between perception and reality can find itself in the way people look at, at people that they admire. They idolize certain people. Sometimes we see that in the celebrity world in which we live. 
where we have a hard time uh, differentiating between image and substance. And we love the glitter and the glam and the glitz, but we don't get much deeper than that. Uh, we may be able to identify these celebrities to some extent, but, but our assessment of them can be misguided because we really don't know anything substantial about them. We give people accolades. Uh, we can name the famous and yet really know nothing about them. We got a perception of them, but the reality is a whole different matter. We may have a thumbnail sketch of who they are, but we really don't know them at all. And, and Jesus had that sort of thing happen to him. He still does. And, uh, and, and it's something that happens all the time. People can think they know who Jesus is without really knowing who he is. Uh, even going on uh, academic safaris is, has happened in times past where people say, well, we're going to go and, and search for the historical Jesus because we can't find him in the Bible. We're going to go figure it out for ourselves. And yet Jesus not only identifies who he is in this passage, but also what he came to do in light of that identity. And unlike so many who misunderstood who he was and what he came to do, Jesus makes it plainly clear in this passage, he even states it that way, about what he came to do. He stated it plainly. Like what some might think, suffering would be his road to glory. And that's the theme of our sermon this morning. Our passage teaches us that the suffering of Christ is a necessary road. It's objectionable uh, to those who don't believe it or understand it. And it's a road that has to be reflected by his followers, by believers who profess their faith in him. So we take a look at these briefly this morning. First of all, that the suffering of Christ is a necessary road. Jesus says that he must go down the road of suffering. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and all the rest. He must do this. It's a necessary road. And it's a remarkable statement given what has just been said about it. And the title that Jesus uses is of himself. Because whether we speak about his identity or his calling, people misunderstand Jesus. He asks, who do people say that I am? And people have their ideas, including Herod Antipas, who surmised when he became aware of Jesus that John the Baptist had come back from the dead, whom he had had killed. Peter, though, gets it right. He says, you're the Christ. Christ is Messiah, or, or Christ is the Son of Man, which Christ speaks of himself, are both exalted titles. And they both, as viewed as exalted title, uh, are in a stark contrast to what Christ says he's going to have to experience. Humil humiliation. That, that was not only considered unexpected, but had to be the greatest of contrasts to his noble title, so it would see. The world in Christ's day view, viewed that when Christ would come, and particularly in the Jewish sector, but when Christ would come, only exaltation would be his to know. And that's why throughout his ministry, Christ didn't want anyone at that moment to share the news of his being the Christ. He knew that people would seek to exalt him, 
before the necessity of his suffering. Jesus uses the word must. He does that to underscore the necessity of his suffering because of a society that would have a hard time believing that this suffering should happen at all, let alone be a necessity. It's a must because this suffering is the plan of God decretively. This is part of what God is planning to do. And this suffering is a must in the sense that it's the will of God for Jesus perceptively. This is what he's been called to do. His Father had sent him for the purpose of suffering. From the very point of the fact that he was conceived and born in a manger, spoke to that. He took up his cross. He was denying himself. And if people were really to know rest for their souls, then the Christ must suffer. He must suffer in the place of those for whom he came to save, if they're going to be saved. That was the gospel of Jesus Christ of which Mark speaks. That must be done for people to have their sins pardoned and to know God's peace and direction. Now, now this suffering will end in glory, but in order for it to end in glory for Christ and all those in him who call on him and trust him and follow him, the suffering's a must. It's a must. It's a must to fulfill the scriptures. It's a must because unless he goes down that road of suffering, which is pinnacled by taking the wrath of God upon himself, and unless he obeys that calling, there isn't any hope for anybody. No other way to be saved can be found apart from the suffering of Christ and no other way to glory. And so without getting ahead of ourselves here, the world doesn't like to hear that. That there's only one way to be saved from our sin and one road to glory. Because we live in a world that says there's all kinds of gospels that save and lead to glory and many, many kinds of glory. And, and I, I, I like to pursue them. They give me a charge. Some may allow for you to like your Jesus as, as your way, but to be a nice Christian, one needs to see that any religious choice is fine. The problem with that is that when you read a passage like this, it declares that the only way is the way that Jesus must endure for those he saved. Unless he suffers in the way that he describes, there isn't a way to glory. And there isn't any gospel. Christians cannot concede another way just to be nice. They are being nice to show the only way. If you were to ask me, and I, of course I, I know that, but I mean, if you were to say, can you tell me the way to Sioux Falls? And I know that Sioux Falls is north and west of here, and I tell you that the way to Sioux Falls is by way of Des Moines, I'm not being very nice. See you later. Have a good time getting over to the Sioux Falls by way of Des Moines. There's all kinds of ways to do, to, to, to Sioux Falls. No. It's north and west. That's how you get there. Well, the person who professes their faith declares nobody comes to the Father except through the Son. 
You want to know the way to glory? That's the way. It comes to the one who has to suffer in order for glory to be known. For him and for those he came to save, like me. That's the way. And that's the message for those around us when we're Christians, when people wonder about the hope that's within us. What Jesus needed to do is what allows us to have what we need to have. Hope for life, hope for salvation, hope of glory. And if that's not the way you happen to view things, well, that's what Christians are going to, when they're nice, <laughs> that's what they're going to show you. That's the way. And then just as Christ needed to suffer to save, you also need to profess Christ as your Savior and hope. Like Zoe did this morning. That road of glory is, is objected by unbelief. Within a few verses, Peter is going from the penthouse to the basement when it comes to his comments in response to Jesus. On the one hand, as, as Jesus and his disciples are in a Gentile city, because they're in Caesarea Philippi, they're in a city that was built for Caesar Augustus, and then it was rebuilt by Philip the Tetrarch. He was one of Herod the Great's sons, the, the Herod the Great that you hear about in Matthew 2, who killed the babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Caesarea Philippi. This is where they're at. It's a Gentile city. And Peter is there, and he's representing at the halfway point in the book of Mark the Jewish populace in declaring rightly that Jesus is the Christ. Who is he? Who, who, who do the people say I am? This, that, and the other thing. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ. He got it right. And he got it right just like the centurion who represents the Gentile populace at the end of the book of Mark in chapter 15. He declares rightly that Jesus is the Son of God. He sees what happens at the crucifixion and he says, truly this is the Son of God. And those two professions reflect the identification of Jesus in the very first verse of Mark, the gospel of Jesus. Who? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the gospel. Peter is right. Jesus is the Christ. And he's not to be misidentified as he is so often in Mark. And now here is John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. But of course, that means to most people that this is the one that's going to come and set things straight politically. Don't tell anyone about this, he says, because they'll, they'll seek to make me a political king. And so Peter gets the right terminology, but he gets the wrong message, and he gets the work of the king wrong. He gets, that, he gets that message and work as wrong as sinful mankind gets it wrong. And that's why Jesus rebukes him. Because like sinful humanity, Peter wants the things of men and not of God. In other words, he wants things man's way, not God's way. That's the thing. He doesn't want a, a sacrificial savior doesn't feel like he needs that. What he wants 
is a king like the rest of the nations and like the rest of mankind. He wants a king that's going to be self-serving and not self-sacrificing. He wants a king after man's image which, who only wants what he can take and not what he can give. And, and as with the public profession of faith that we heard, by nature, that's what we want. Left to our sinful selves, that's what we want. We want a self-absorbed, self-seeking, self-saving ruler over our lives because that's what we want about ourselves. That's what we already are in ourselves. And what we needed, and Peter didn't get this at the time, was we needed a different ruler. One truly after God's own heart. A sacrificial ruler. Unbelief by nature wants a Christ of a different stripe, of a political variety perhaps, that will give us all that we want politically or even economically, and morally just leaves us alone. Leaves us to our self-serving end. Left to our unbelieving selves, we want a Messiah that promises to give us all that the world has to offer. A Christ who will make us prosper. A Christ that will let us do whatever we please. We want a Christ of self-preservation who worries about himself because before he worries about anybody else, if he even worries about anybody else, because that's the tendency of a sinful humanity. Unbelief doesn't want a Christ that will keep us from gaining the whole world. Because we want the whole world even if it means that we have to destroy our souls and our integrity to get it. Unbelief is ashamed of a Christ that's different from all those kinds. Unbelief is, a, is willing to give up its life eternally if it means there's a chance it can gain the world temporally without Christ. And it doesn't see the need of a Christ who, who comes to suffer for the spiritual poverty of mankind. I don't need a Christ like that. It believes that true glory can be found by denying that Christ who came to suffer. There is no need for that kind of a Christ. We can grab a glory and attention very well without looking to him. That's what life's about. Get what you can, while you can, however you can, for your own glory, because that's what life's for. It's for you. Well, Jesus says, if that's what you think, if that's what makes you tick, he says, you're wrong. And he says that such an attitude is only going to lead to shame. If you deny me, I'll deny you before my father. Those ashamed of Jesus will know the shame of Jesus in the end with no lasting glory to be found. All those desires for glory are going to be lost in the end. And that's because ours is not to deny Christ or ignore Christ or be apathetic to Christ. Ours is to profess Christ and profess him proudly as our only Savior and the Lord of all that he is. And then you don't have to worry about shame, even though others might not like you. But you don't have to worry about the shame of Christ. All you've got to worry about is nothing. You, you've got glory awaiting you. The shameful, self-glorifying way can't be the attitude of the person who follows Christ. That's a moment 
that we have lastly here to take a look at. It doesn't make sense to follow the sacrificial Christ by being self-glorifying. Christians know why Christ had to go down the road of suffering unto glory, and they know that it follows that they're supposed to go down the same path. If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself and profess me. The, the only other time that we read about denial in Mark's gospel is when Peter denies. He doesn't deny himself. He denies Jesus, and he does it three times. And that denial was part of the suffering and rejecting of Christ that, that makes Christ's sacrificial love just shine even brighter because it is while we were yet sinners that Christ sacrificed for his people. Followers of Christ, believers in Christ, follow Christ's path. Christ's love is self-denial. Christ's love is self-sacrifice. Christ's love is selfless. His followers follow that path on the road to glory. Jesus puts it different ways. He says, losing your life for the, for the gospel, being proud of Christ, not being ashamed of him. It's a devotion to the gospel leading to glory. And some people figure that suffering of any sort is their cross to bear. Oh, yeah, I got a hangnail. Oh, that's my cross to bear today. Right? No, that, that isn't what Jesus means. He's not talking about these perceived hangnails that come into our lives. Jesus is saying here that our cross to bear when we're Christians is devoting ourselves to Christ. And, and to do that sacrificially, even to the point of death, it's to reflect the Christ himself. Inevitably, there is suffering for the sake of Christ that will occur in the world. The very fact that we say that we must follow Christ above all and that there is no other Savior than Jesus puts us on the road of suffering. People don't like that. People reject that idea and will not only not like that idea, but they will also not like those who hold it. And that can hurt. And you know, believers hurt. Believers hurt for the sake of Jesus. If you care, you know, when you're, when you're carefree, when you don't give a rip about anything, it doesn't hurt. But when you're devoted to Christ, it hurts sometimes. And if you see a person or you know a person who doesn't profess Christ or maybe who once did and now doesn't care about that anymore, if you're a believer, that hurts. And you're suffering like Christ. That Christ-like lifestyle of denying oneself seems odd to the world. Deny yourself and help around the house. Wow, new concept. Deny yourself and be generous to the cause of Christ. Deny yourself and visit somebody ailing. Deny yourself and tell somebody what the Lord has done for you. Deny yourself and raise your children in the ways of the Lord, which is hard. Because it's easy not to care. 
Don't just become a parent, but be one. Deny yourself and provide for somebody in need for the sake of Christ. Quit, quit watching others denying themselves and deny yourself. Quit watching everybody else do it and do it. Take up your cross and follow Christ, says the Lord. Sacrifice. Help out. When somebody's asking you, can somebody help out? You're waving. Be of service. You might find it rewarding. And you might find it painful. But it's the road that leads to glory. And it reflects the Christ whom we're called to profess went down that sacrificial road for us. It was a necessary road. It's a road that is objected by unbelief, but it is a road that is followed by those who profess this was the sacrificial road that Jesus went down for my sin, my salvation, my glory. May I never be ashamed of this Jesus, because if I am, he'll be ashamed of me, and that will be a shame. May our glory and our gospel and our faith be found in the one who suffered on the road glory for those he came to save. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who when we profess him, brings good news to our lives. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this moment that we've had to focus again on what Christ has done. May we not misunderstand him and may we not be ashamed of him and may we not find his way of humiliation to exaltation to be odd but essential for our own hope and our own glory and our own salvation. In fact, our own identity and how we ought to live ourselves reflections of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Oh, Father, may we rejoice in his sacrifice and may we find ourselves every day taking joy in taking up our own cross and following him. May you accept our prayer for Jesus' sake.